So, as I say, we're beginning a series on creation. Oxford authors Tolkien and Lewis talk about creation powerfully. I'll talk about them in a moment. But just to introduce the series, I'd like to play some music from Bob Dylan. the volume and keep it playing if you have the technology for that for a little bit. Who likes Bob Dylan? Come on. Who was, uh, you know, most of Dylan's songs came out before most of you were, some of you were born, I do realize that, but you know, like T.S. Eliot, you can appreciate uh, nearly dead poets. And uh, why am I playing you this? Because he uses creation and its beauty to describe the presence of God, interestingly. He had either a Christian phase, in my opinion, his best albums, actually. I've been listening to them again. I lectured our whole staff team for 40 minutes on the genius of Dylan this week. Uh, anyone who would like a lecture on that, I'll come to your home. Because it's, you know, I, I was arrested for playing Bob Dylan songs with a harmonica harness in the Paris Metro, you know. And uh, I'm a fan. In fact, once at a, at a church Christmas party, Simon Ponsonby, Anita, and I, in wigs, played the song Forever Young to the church. And um, if you were here then, you will remember that moment, or you probably will want to forget it. But anyway, you can turn it down and turn it off. I was in your presence for an hour or so, or was it a day, I truly don't know, where the sun never set and the trees hung low by that soft and shining sea in the summertime, oh, in the summertime, when you were with me. Steady. And then he says, so all that suffering was not to be compared with the glory that is to be. I'm still carrying the gift you gave. It's part of me now. It's been cherished and saved. It'll be with me unto the grave and then to eternity in the summertime. Oh, in the summertime when you were with me. So he's talking about creation to describe God, really, the presence of God. And the Bible speaks really clearly about creation, God's love for creation. And this morning we want to begin a four-part series on creation in the mornings. And some of the, past, the small groups have been studying this. Um, the fact is God loves creation. And we are called to love the things God loves and recognize his voice in creation. There are lots of verses 
that speak of this, so many in fact, but we've had Psalm 19, the heavens are telling the glory of God. This is echoed in Romans chapter 1. Ever since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from the things that he has made. So we always want to read the Bible in one hand and the news in the other. So that's the Bible. The news tells us creation is seriously groaning and is in great trouble, perhaps losing its capacity to speak to us as powerfully as in the past because of environmental degradation. So we all know the world has already lost 80% of its forests and we're losing them at the rate of 375 square meters every day. We know that at the current rate of deforestation, 15 to 10% of tropical forest species will become extinct every decade. We, we, we read that every hour, 1,692 acres of productive dry land become desert. And 20% of our, 27% of our coral reefs have been destroyed, and we have a rubbish island, a garbage island, floating in the ocean, mostly comprised of plastics the size of India, or some say the size of India, Europe, and Mexico combined. That's in the news. I mean, it is in the news. China's top legislature ratified the Paris Global Agreement, that country which is the largest emitter of harmful CO2 emissions which cause climate change has signed up to this agreement to keep the growth in climate um, in temperature rise to under 2%. And it's a huge step, really, to turning those agreements into fact. And the G20 nations also have pledged to do this. Um, so, and the USA, obviously, too, although one of the presidential candidates has pledged to cut out all UN climate change pledges, if elected. So what we want to do is embark on a conversation on Sunday mornings. I spoke a few weeks ago on emotional health. We often speak on that kind of thing, emotionally, spiritually healthy church. You could speak on soul health. We often do obliquely on Sundays. We could speak about evangelistic health. I did at the uh, vision night, and I'm so encouraged by the way people are coming to Alpha at the moment. I had an amazing time on Tuesday night, by the way. It's still not too late to come to Alpha and bring a friend. It's happening in here on Tuesday nights at 7. But for a few weeks, I want to talk, and I've asked Simon Ponsonby, Anita, and Mark to speak on planetary health, if we may. And please come with us on this journey. You don't often hear about this in evangelical churches. Uh, you may be one who thinks this is not urgent. Spiritual things are more important. But I want to say we believe this is spiritual and biblical. And it's actually been on our agenda at St. Aldate's for years. We've had a group called SAGE, 
which stood for St. Albate's Group for the Environment. That was founded 25 years ago, and then like some charities, it moved away. But uh, we've had an eco-intern or two 10 years ago, and um, we believe that we're not talking about it because it's politically correct, but because it's part of our DNA, or we want it to be. You may say, Jesus is coming back soon. I want to live in the light of heaven and the second coming. I want to live eschatologically. But I want to say this is deeply eschatological. That's a smart word for the end of the world, by the way. Um, because when he returns, to use the title of a Dylan song, one of the things he may say is, and what have you done with the beautiful, perfectly balanced miracle of creation, this planet that I have given into your care to steward? And C.S. Lewis on eschatology said this in Mere Christianity, if you read history, you'll find that the Christians who did most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. He says it's since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they've become so ineffective in this. So if you're an end times Christian, get into this. If you're a spiritual Christian, get into this. If you're a born again new creation Christian, get into this. There are four good reasons for Christians to be passionate about this. The first is love. God made the world, and when we make something, whether it's as life-changing as giving birth or a watercolor or a painting, if it's good, you know, we will care about our creation. And this helps us understand that God cares deeply about his creation. And the Bible makes that clear in lots of passages. Psalm 50, verse 10 and 11, where God says this, Every animal of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains, and the creatures of the field are mine. So studying, thankfully enjoying, and caring for the world that God has so wonderfully made is an obvious way for us to show love for God. If you love God, if you're a worshiper, love his creation. Love. Secondly, obedience and the fear of the Lord. Christians are called to obey God in every part of their lives. And in the Bible, we find God's first words to men and women are that they would rule over the fish and the sea and the birds and the air and livestock in a way that reflects his own image. You're made in his image and so rule over these things, not in a powerful, negligent way, but one a way that reflects his unselfish love and mercy and tender compassion. Tragically, the rule of humankind over creation has often been characterized by cruelty, greed, self-centeredness, short-sightedness. But this clearly was not God's intention in asking us to steward the earth. And... Um, if we desire to obey God, we want to look for ways in which we can be good stewards of his creation. Love, obedience, and then justice. Caring for the environment is an issue of justice. Often it is the poor who suffer first when the environment is damaged through deforestation or pollution or desertification. 
or an unjustified extraction of raw materials. And the Bible shows God's passionate about justice and the poor, of course. And God's people are challenged, to, are called by God and anointed to challenge oppression. And the experience of many development and aid agencies, in their experience, addressing biodiversity, conservation, and justice for the poor go hand in hand. It's a false de decision to say you have to choose between the two because the one helps the other. And if you're helping the poor, you must care for their environment. So justice. And then hope. Those who care about the environment can often become discouraged. The news is so often so disturbing. Some of the slides I'll show are a bit disturbing. And that can cause us to wonder if there's any point taking action. But the Bible provides lots of grounds for hope in contrast. It's not a simplistic optimism. In the view of the Bible, things will get worse. But that's never the last word. And the Old Testament prophets Isaiah and Hosea foretell a time of human and environmental harmony. And in the New Testament, Jesus is described not just as a savior of fallen humanity, but as the one for whom all creation was made, and the one for whom, in the end, by whom all creation will be, to quote Romans, liberated, sorry, Colossians 1, 15 and Romans 8, creation will be liberated from its bondage to decay. So we don't know how that will be accomplished, but he wants us to be involved in this great hopeful plan. So love, obedience, justice, and hope call us to this. Uh, someone say amen. <laughs> Howard Snyder's great book, Salvation Means Creation healed talks about this. He talks about the Bible promising the renewal of all creation, a new heaven and a new earth based on the incarnation, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Then he says, for centuries this promise has been sidelined or misunderstood because, in fact, the Bible tells the story of the broken and restored relationship between God, people, and the land, not just God and people. God will renew the earth the kingdom will come on earth as in heaven. That's the full gospel. And uh, Snyder calls the church to be his healing community now through evangelism, discipleship, justice works among the poor, and a prophetic mission to care for the planet. So, I want to whack a PowerPoint up and give four simple points before landing. The first one is this, creation is good, do we love it? I have a new clicker which currently is not behaving, so bear with me. Oh yes, there we go. Well, it's gone a long way forward. I think that took about, I think I clicked it four times and we advanced four times. Can we go back to slide two, please, Ruth? And I'm afraid I'm going to have to say next slide. Someone has stolen our church clicker. If you would be responsible, please confess your crime and bring it back. Slide two, Ruth, please, thank you. Is that slide two? Okay, I've also got the wrong PowerPoint, which was adapted by my wife for preaching at the late service. Just leave that up and 
Pray for me. <laughs> Creation is good. Do we love it? This is the question. In Genesis 1, we read, it was very good. And since the fall and the groaning of creation, floods and natural disasters have shown us creation is out of joint. But in fact, it is very good. And it bears the... Im Here are some images. Slide next. From creation. Next slide. Next slide. That's a dangerous plant. That's an insect eater. Next slide. Next slide. Next slide. These are amazing, huge sort of trays there to collect water. Next slide. Slide before, please. Thank you. These are all from Oxford. Anyone know where they come from? The what? The Oxford Botan Who has been to the Botanical Gardens? Who is a member of the Botanical Gardens? Come on, it's a... Students go in for free. Um, it's the oldest botanic garden in the world, in Great Britain, and one of the oldest scientific gardens in the world. It was founded in 1621 as a physic garden. And today it contains over 8,000 different plant species on 1.8 hectares. It's one of the most diverse yet compact collections of plant in the world and has representatives from over 90,000 of the higher plant families. They even grow cannabis there, you know. It's amazing. It says on a sort of plaque in front of the cannabis, all the drug from these plants has been extracted. So that's to kind of make sure people don't um, use it unwisely. Second, next slide. Creation is speaking. Do you listen? Mm. Let's lose the slides. We're going to have to do without them, and I do apologize. Second point, creation is speaking. Do you listen? The Bible contains a story of a man who lost everything. It's got lots of stories of people who lost everything, but the one I'm thinking of loses his family, his health, his wealth, and he's badly advised by friends. And in the end, he meets God. So here's someone who's lost everything. He's ill. His wife even isn't on his side. I'm talking about the book of Job. He loses everything. It's, a, it's one of perhaps the first book in the Bible to be written. And the question I want to ask is, what is God's strategy to comfort this person who's in such trouble? And the fact is that God's strategy, his apologetic for relief from suffering, or at least accepting of it, is remarkable. It is to show the person, show Job, to take him outside and show him creation. And so right at the end, this is one-tenth of the book of Job, from chapter 38 onwards, is about look at creation after Job has been suffering. Then the Lord spoke to Job. Where were you when I laid the earth foundation? Tell me if you understand. Verse 12, have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place? Chapter 38, verse 22, have you entered the storehouses of the snow or seen the storehouses 
of the hail. But chapter 39, do you know when the mountain goats give birth? Do you watch when the doe bears her fawn? Chapter 39, verse 9, will the wild ox consent to serve you? Will it, will it stay by your manger at night? Can you hold it to the furrow with the harness? So he's saying, you know, you're suffering, but have a look at this. Look at this. And then look at that. Look at Behemoth, who I have created, whoever that is. It's a hippo, perhaps, or a dragon, or whatever. Look at that, look at that, look at that. And that goes on for four chapters. That is the apologetic and the counseling skill of God for those suffering. It's very interesting. Well, of course, there are other comforting skills from God in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, um, you know, where we comfort others with the comfort we ourselves receive. It's not the only um, arrow in his quiver, but it's a huge way that God speaks. And chapter 42, then Job replied to the Lord, I know you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You speak, you said, listen now and I will speak, I will question you. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I repent in dust and ashes. So Job is saying, I've seen you, and really what he's seen is God's creation. And therefore, I am converted, or I bow the knee to you, if you like. So... This is the Bible's apologetic often, and if you look at um, Psalm 19, the Bible puts the speaking creation beside the law of the Lord, almost in equal parity. So the first verse of Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands, day after day they pour forth speech, night after night they re reveal knowledge, they have no speech, they use no words, no sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out to all the earth, their voice to the ends of the earth. And then, in verse 7, we read in the same psalm, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. So why is it that Psalm 19 puts the speaking creation inequality with the law of the Lord. Maybe it's because the heavens tell God's glory and they warm the heart. And so does the law, which is perfect. It does the same. It warms the heart as the sun gives light to the, to the, to the earth. We can learn about the law from stopping and looking and listening and contemplating and caring for creation. And I just want to say, in the same way that we would not trash the law of the Lord, let us not crash creation, trash creation, which bears God's image. Unfortunately, we, we have trashed creation in so many ways. So I've already spoken about this, but species population is declining. So here are my points. The first one, creation is good. Do you love it? Secondly, Creation is speaking. Do you listen? Thirdly, creation is groaning. Do you, do we care? 
So, as I say, species populations worldwide have declined 52% since 1970. But in the same 40-year period, period, human population has nearly doubled. So really, experts say we need one and a half Earths to meet the demands we currently make on nature. The trouble is that we don't have one and a half Earths at our disposition. Some say we may already have crossed planetary boundaries that could lead to abrupt or irreversible climate change. And overshoot is possible because we can cut down trees faster than they mature. We can harvest more fish than oceans replenish, emit more carbon into the atmosphere than forests and oceans can absorb. So there is a dangerous balance. Again, the hinge of history is swinging. And the church is called to step up and be prophetic. That is our conviction. We want to call you to get this into your DNA. And I want to say, arguably, this is an Oxford subject. Uh, I referenced already famous Christian authors who've contributed to making Oxford world famous because of their novels and now films. And they assume evil, incarnate evil, equals abuse of creation. In the Narnia books, C.S. Lewis has creation physically responding and unfolding to the presence of Aslan, the Christ figure, but he has creation maimed or disrespected or even frozen in perpetual winter when Aslan is absent or opposed. In The Lord of the Rings, J.R.R. Tolkien's one of his most telling images is the rape of the landscape and attack on trees prosecuted by the evil Saruman. And in the end, the trees attack Saruman, as you know, and the planet strikes back. And the great character Treebeard says this, the filth, when, when this is happening and the waters are washing through the valley and washing away, Saruman's minds and things. He says this, the filth of Saruman is washing away. Trees will come back here, young trees, wild trees. These imagined stories are deeply Christian, written in our city by authors who knew that when creation groans, we, the church, are called to care for it, Genesis 2.15. So we invite you to join with this. You'll see in the, in the entrance hall a visual, and we put it on our website, about what we are inviting ourselves to do, helped by Arosha and a thing called Eco Church. We want um, to call ourselves. So this is my first point, um, my, my fourth point. We want to invite you to act to help us to, um, to take action. And this is how we want to recommend that. Firstly, through worship and teaching. As a church, we want to use worship songs that celebrate God's creation. 
and preach about Jesus the Creator, pray for environmental issues. Children's church are called to include environmental care material. Secondly, in our use of buildings, we want to reduce energy consumption, low energy light bulbs, double glazing. That's a bit difficult in this building, but anyway. Our use of our land, we have a bit of land. Can we use it to be a place of relaxation for our community? If you are a gardener and would like to help us, we have a garden, a public garden out here. We need investment. We want that to be one of the most beautiful places in Oxford. Uh, fourthly, our care for our community and global engagement through green projects, holding evening meetings with environmental speakers. We've sometimes done that here already, lobbying MPs and so on. Also through toilet twinning, you know. We've got some amazing new women's loos. Do you like them? <laughs> Let's twin them. And our lifestyle, obviously. We want to provide material on the website so people can do their own carbon footprint, ethical investments, and so on. I'm going to invite the team to come back so that I can do what I promised we would do, have a little moment for prophetic input. But can I just say, last, so, creation is groaning, God is speaking, please join in, and lastly, he calls us to be a new creation. He calls you to be a new creation. Maybe this morning you're, you've come and you're, you're, you're not a Christian. He will touch your life so you can become a new creation. And please come and talk to us afterwards. If having heard this, you think, yeah, I want to follow this God who acts in this way. But if you are a new creation, live like one in this matter. Amen?